Hello, and welcome to the G2 Podcast. My ex-girlfriend dumped me when uh, she didn't believe I could make a car out of spaghetti. You should have seen her face when I drove past her. Terrible, terrible. I was 18 when I applied to go on the reality TV show Big Brother. How many of you remember that? Fantastic. Well, this was back when dinosaurs walked the earth. And I actually got through the first couple of auditions and I got to the regional finals. So I get there and I'm in front of the judges and I just froze. And after about a minute of awkward silence, the judge says, Nah, mate, not for us. Next. And that's me out the door. My TV career stopped before it had even started. We won't mention my Love Island application. (laughs) Isn't it odd, though, that our TVs get filled with this kind of program every year? MasterChef, X Factor, The Voice, Bake Off. These shows have all kinds of people on them, and they all get judged by judges, viewers, the tabloids, the hosts, everyone's got an opinion. And we're going to see these guys break, dance and sing, and whoever people like goes through to the next round, and whoever they don't like gets sent home. But there is a side of me that I don't like about myself that comes out when I watch these shows. I kind of make myself another judge, you know, that was rubbish, Betty can't dance, that kick will never rise. In a way, I find myself writing off people as unlikely in my own head. And I think these shows are a little bit spiritual in that they do show us, I think, the reverse view of the kingdom of God because people are judged as winners and losers. Those who are likely to succeed and those who are unlikely. We judge the likely ones as winners and we write the unlikely ones off as losers. And I think the danger of this winner-loser mentality that our society loves so much is that it, if we don't realize it, it might start to color how we see the world around us. Without realizing it, we might judge people as well, like winners or losers, likely or unlikely, and we can judge people's entire worth on the little bit that we see. But God doesn't look at other people with the narrow viewpoint that we often do. God looks at the heart. But the problem is that judgment runs really deep in our society. The Christian writer Andy Stanley actually describes judgment as the act of sizing somebody off and then writing them off. Sizing somebody up and writing them off. Hell, I got it right, wouldn't it? And if we look around, we might see that. Sometimes it seems like our world has almost weaponized this idea of judgment because we see people sized up on the little bit we know about them and then written off on even less. All of us at times can make snap decisions or easily dismiss people without ever really knowing their full story. How many times have we heard in recent years, how could you possibly vote for them? Or you're the bad guy because you're a certain age or gender or race. Sometimes the judgments we make can be a little bit lighthearted or even quite funny. You know, someone might be a bad parker or they're always running late. Sometimes, though, they can be a lot more serious. But no matter what our intention, the judgments we make can be really damaging because what lies beyond the sharp end of that judgment is God's son or God's daughter. 
None of us want to be sized up and written off. And it can massively impact our walk with God when that happens. Proverbs 18 tells us that the power of life and death are in the tongue. The things that people say about us, the judgments that they make, they aren't just helpful or hurtful. They are literally life and death. The things people say and the judgments they make will either lift us up or they will tear us down. You see, all through his word, God calls the people that the world has judged to be unlikely to do the unbelievable. And that's as true now as it was back then. The unlikely are still called to do the unbelievable. And yet, when those judgments happen to us, sometimes it can get easier to ignore God's calling. Or we think it isn't for us. Or maybe we can doubt we're good enough for God, or we think we've got to get our lives sorted out before we do the Jesus thing. Instead of living this life that God has for us, this incredible calling to build his kingdom and glorify him, instead, the judgments of others can cause us to give in to fear. We surrender to doubt. We let the judgments and condemnations of others drown out God's calling on our lives, or we shy away from from what God is calling us into because of what other people have said about us. I'll give you an example. I had a friend who died about five years ago. He was homeless and he was an alcoholic, but he was also the most passionate evangelist that I have ever met. A lot of people, and I'm ashamed to say myself as well, did often size this guy up and write him off. And you could see the impact those judgments had on him. He felt condemned, useless, ashamed of where his life had taken him. To many, he was unlikely to be of any use to God. And yet, when you take the time to talk to a lot of the rough sleepers out there in York or the people that volunteer with the homeless ministries, my friend sharing his faith so boldly and fearlessly, irrespective of what people had said about him, has massively impacted lives because right there, God has used the unlikely to do the unbelievable. And I wonder, are we maybe all a little bit like my friend? Have we had times where people have written us off? Have we had times where we've not felt good enough or people have seen us as unlikely? The truth is, each of us is, to somebody else, unlikely to be of use to God. But God can and does use the unlikely to do the unbelievable. And we're going to see in the Gospel of Matthew how that happens. So if you've got your Bibles, please do turn with me to Matthew 9. Now, just to catch you up, we've been on quite the journey with Matthew so far as a church. We've explored the family tree of Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. We've seen the birth of Jesus as um, fulfilled prophecy. Jesus becoming a refugee to escape genocide. We've seen the baptism and the temptation in the desert. The calling of the first six disciples in Andrew, Peter, John and James, Philip and Nathaniel. We've seen Jesus' first miracle at Cana and the start of Jesus' public ministry with the Sermon on the Mount. And then we come to what feels like a a blink and you'll miss it moment. This kind of really weird intermission where the writer of the book of Matthew tells us his own story about how Jesus has turned his life upside down. And in these four verses, I think 
we're going to see something really powerful. I think it's one of the greatest acts of healing in all of Scripture. As Jesus takes an irredeemable sinner and transforms his life. Now, we actually see Matthew's calling recorded in three Gospels. We see it in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5. So normally, when the Bible repeats something, it's so we pay attention to it. Normally, when the Bible repeats something, it's so we pay attention to it. Now, maybe Matthew's story doesn't seem like such a big deal. We've seen Jesus say, follow me, to people before. But by recording this story three times, what the Bible is showing us, there's something much more powerful there. We see the unlikely Matthew called to do the unbelievable. And because each of us is in our own way, just as unlikely as Matthew seemed, this is the model for how we can respond to Christ. So who was Matthew really? Well, I think we all know he was a tax collector. But at the time of Matthew, Israel had been under Roman occupation for about 60 years. So what the Roman soldiers would do is they'd invade, and then they'd look for volunteers among the population to collect taxes from them. And those people collecting taxes could steal as much as they wanted. In fact, the Jewish Talmud actually describes um, tax collectors as robbers. And that's Matthew. He's a man that sold out his people to godless and violent oppressors just so he can get rich. Matthew, to the people around him, would have been seen as less than nothing. He'd have been sized up and written off by the world around him. He was forbidden from entering the temple. He was treated like an outcast. Even his own family would have wanted nothing to do with him. To the world around him, Matthew might as well have been dead. And I want to suggest to you that Matthew was probably burnt out on the judgments of others. There was probably a mix of emotions in there. Loneliness, regret, isolation, feeling unloved. What if he'd made a different decision? I suspect part of Matthew would internalize this message that he was condemned, a sinner, not good enough. How could God use a man like him? And I think whether we'd admit it or not, That's somewhere either we are or we have been. So along comes Jesus. In verse 9, Matthew is sat in his tax booth and Jesus says, follow me. Matthew leaves everything behind without question. So the first thing I think we need to notice is that Matthew doesn't have to go looking for Jesus because Jesus is looking for Matthew. Jesus meets Matthew right where he's at. Now, one of the things that can happen when we are subject to the judgment of others over and over, when people speak lies and bad stuff over us, is that we can internalize this message that we're too broken, unwanted, unlovable, not good enough for God. And truthfully, we aren't good enough for God. None of us ever will be. And yet, it's in this story that we can see we don't have anything to do. We'd have to do it ourselves. Jesus is already looking for us. Matthew is there in the midst of his darkest sin. I mean, among all this judgment, condemnation and shame, and Jesus meets him where he's at, sees the hurt, sees the failures, sees his flaws, and still says, follow me. The easy question to ask is why would Matthew follow Jesus. But the more relevant question is, what did Jesus see in Matthew? A man who was written off 
as a tool of the enemy, judged as a thief worse than any other sinner by the standards of the time. And yet Jesus still says, follow me. If we look at the accounts of this story in the Gospels of Luke and Mark, we might get a clue. Now, Matthew's original name was Levi. And when he's called, Jesus changes his name to Matthew, which means in the Greek, gift from God. And we see that a lot in the Bible. When someone is chosen by God, their name is changed. So in the Old Testament, Abraham becomes Abraham. In the New Testament, we have Saul who becomes Paul and Simon who becomes Peter. And those new names become their identity. In Jewish culture, a, na a name was symbolic of someone's calling, their destiny, it's who they represented in God's kingdom. And what Jesus does is he takes a man who the world says is less than nothing and says, you're a gift from God, follow me. Now, this phrase that Jesus keeps using, follow me, and I apologize to any Greek speakers here, but in the Greek it's akolothetomoi. It's definitely not pronounced that way. But that is a phrase that Jesus uses 70 times in Scripture. And I want us to notice, this is not a suggestion. This is not a request. This is a command. Follow me. Jesus is commanding the unlikely Matthew to follow him because Jesus commands the unlikely, to do the unbelievable. And it's in the unlikely Matthew that Jesus doesn't see the man that the world has written off. He doesn't see what the world sees. He sees what God has created. He sees a man who has the heart, the strength, the courage, and the vision to lay everything down and follow him. Because Jesus isn't looking for perfection. Jesus is calling out potential. What the world has condemned, Jesus has chosen because the calling to follow Christ is far more about who we can become in him than what we can do for him. The calling to follow Christ is far more about who we can become in him than what we can do for him. So let me ask you, do you feel condemned, broken, not enough, unlovable, hurting, Jesus is still commanding you, follow me. Jesus chose Matthew only because of his incredible love. And God has already put in you all the gifts, the talents, and the skills, and the blessings that will make you, an that will make you someone that can serve his kingdom, just like Matthew did. Jesus saw in Matthew a man that would go on to change the world, someone that might even be martyred for their faith. Jesus saw who Matthew really was, who God, had created, who God had created him to be, not who the world said he was. God has chosen each of you because he loves you. So let me ask you, what would God see in you? Who has he made you to be? What has he put in you? Who can you become in him? And this should be a reminder to any of us that God can use anyone who is willing to be called by him. But the price of that calling is heavy. It demands all of who we are, everything in us. Luke 14, 33 says, any of you who can, does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10, 38 tells us, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Being a follower of Jesus, 
surprisingly, actually involves following Jesus. Not putting it off or putting what we want first. Good intentions are not faith. Future plans, and I'll do it later, are not faithfulness. Matthew didn't just say he would follow. He got up and followed. So the only thing that matters right now in this place is this. Are we following Jesus today? And who are we becoming in him? And in verses 10 to 13, we see that Matthew holds a feast in honor of Jesus. Now, many of the people there would have been other sinners like tax collectors. And for Jesus to be sat with them as, as a rabbi, let alone as God-made man on earth, would have broken a lot of the rules of society at the time. And the unlikely Matthew gives this huge party for Jesus because he wants his other unlikely friends to believe in Jesus too. Because when your life is turned upside down by the incredible, reckless love of God, when God calls the unlikely and gives us worth and purpose and life, how else can we respond other than to share that life-transforming news and grace with everyone we know, irrespective of what the world says about them? But there were some guests there that Matthew and Jesus didn't invite. They were probably there because no one else dared turn them away. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're the religious leaders of the time. They weren't there to celebrate Matthew's calling. They were there to judge others, find fault, point the finger. Luke 5.30 tells us that these religious leaders weren't happy that the unlikely Matthew had been called. They were grumbling. They were more interested in keeping rules than God's transformative grace for Matthew. So they asked Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? And quoting Exodus 15, 16, Jesus replies, only the sick need a doctor. Jesus associates sickness with sinners and health to righteousness. And the reason he does that is because sin is a sickness. We've all got it wrong. We have all messed up. We are all sinners. We are all sick with sin, and Jesus is the doctor that we need. But the Pharisees were so preoccupied with judgment, they didn't see their own sin. Judging, judgments don't just make us blind to God's calling on our lives. When we become like the Pharisees and we get so preoccupied with judging and pointing the finger, we can end up missing God's call on other people's lives. So Matthew, this downtrodden tax collector, the least likely to be of any use to anyone in God's kingdom, is called by name to follow God-made man. Those who thought they were the most likely to be of any use in God's kingdom were so blinded they didn't see their own need for Jesus. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call the unlikely. He came to call the least and the lost. He calls Matthew. He calls us. He calls everybody in this dark and broken world with one command. Follow me. So what do we do with all this? I think in many ways, we could, if we look at the story of Jesus and Matthew, there's probably something we can see of ourselves in those four verses. Those four verses have something to say to each of us. Maybe we feel like Matthew in the tax booth. We feel judged, unlikely, unlovable, unseen, unwanted, not 
good enough. Maybe people have spoken things over us or we've been told we're not enough. I'm going to be real with you here. Many of you will know that I have struggled with depression and anxiety for most of my life. But over the, I, I don't make a secret of that, but over the 13 years I've been a Christian, I have been told by a lot of other Christians, some of whom were well-intentioned, that my struggle with my mental health means I'm not good enough to serve God. And yet, the story of Matthew gives me some hope because it shows that calling is about who you are, not what you can do. God doesn't need us. He never has. There's nothing he, that he can do that we can't do. There's nothing that we can't do that he can do because he's God. But God loves us so much that he invites us on this adventure with him. Matthew was unusable by the standards of the world that had written him off, and yet Jesus saw in him a man that would go on to build God's kingdom. It wasn't that he had all the right skills or was socially acceptable. It was about his willingness to say yes to Jesus' invitation. 2 Timothy 1 tells us that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gives us in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be perfect or have our lives in order to follow Jesus. Do you feel condemned, ground down, worn out, not enough? The calling to serve God is far more about who we are becoming in him than it is what we can do. So maybe it's time we make peace with the judgments that people have made about us. Maybe it's time we make peace with our weaknesses because Jesus' call and God's love don't depend on our perfection. Maybe you're a bit like Matthew after Jesus says, follow me. We've all heard Jesus calling. So how do we respond? Matthew lays it all down, his money, his home, everything he knows just to follow Jesus. We do the same. God has already chosen each of you because of his incredible love for you. Ephesians 4.1 tells us, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Worthy of the calling. Each of us is unlikely to be called by a holy God. But Jesus calling us to follow him is far more about God's love for us than it ever will be about what other people have judged us to be. And yet God says, right now, even if you feel unlikely, if you feel condemned or hurting, walk in a way that's worthy of the calling that Jesus has given you. I don't pretend to know where you're at right now. There is exhaustion in this place. There is fear in this place. There is uncertainty in this place. Doubt, debt, hurts. There are a million and one reasons right now why you don't feel good enough in this place. And yet Jesus still says, follow me. Now earlier this year, Hannah showed us that as a church, we are called to three things. To be full of abundant love. To receive a fresh supply of the Spirit and to hold firm to the word. And maybe this is how we say yes to Jesus calling to follow him. Maybe we show the abundant love of God to others. So where people have written 
others off as unlikely. We're going to raise them up to do the unbelievable. Maybe we know we're pretty far from God, or maybe we've never known who God is, and we need that fresh supply of the Spirit. So we say yes once again to following Jesus, whether that's for the first time or the hundredth time. Maybe we're exhausted with this litany of judgments and condemnation of other people. Dive into your Bible. See how much God loves you. See what he says about you and who you are made to be. And you will find in there a love letter from the creator of the universe just for you. This command to follow Jesus is for everyone. Each of us is in our own way unlikely, just like Matthew. And yet each of us is called to do the unbelievable. And this calling, it's something that takes us from lost to found, from empty to filled with the Spirit, from wrecked to redeemed, from abandoned to having a new home, from captive to free, from aimless and directionless to a new purpose in building God's kingdom. This calling to follow Jesus, it's a calling from death to new life in him. And it's in the call of Jesus and his response that Matthew finally shakes off the condemnation and judgment that has defined his life and who he was. He steps away from all that he knew and into a new life, utterly transformed, a new creation in the eyes of God. And it's in that command to follow Jesus that we too will find hope, will find happiness, and will find new life in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your people and thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would give us all the strength to hear Jesus calling. Father, thank you that you call all of us by name to follow you. I pray that you would give us eyes to see who we are in you and the strength to say yes when you call us. Amen.